Welcome, welcome. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm glad you could make it. Welcome to the Fishmonger live stream. This is our 138th live stream pretty much in a row. Every week we do this Wednesday at 7 p.m. Mountain Time. That would be 9 Eastern for all of you that don't know where's the mountains is. Um, but glad you could make it. I'm happy to be here. I'm hoping that the audio is working this time. If not, we'll just quickly change to the other camera, which will fix the problem instantly. But hopefully everything's good and everyone can hear me and I don't sound like I'm underwater in a witch's cauldron bubbling away. Um, I have amazing news for you guys after I do the shipment report. But before I get into that, I'm just waiting for a little confirmation that the microphone's okay because I don't want to go on forever talking uh, for like 20 minutes before I realize the mic's bad and make a bad live stream. Sounds fine. Sounds good. Okay. So I don't know what caused the audio issue still. Um, what I did is I just turned off the computer completely, got the camera all plugged in and on, turned the camera on first and then booted up the computer. So I'll just keep doing that and hopefully it'll keep working. And if it doesn't, then I, I know we'll do something else. I don't know. But I'm glad the audio is good for once because I am sporting bubbles here and this is a black t-shirt so it doesn't work well with the old camera. Um, so I'm, I'm glad it's working so I can wear it and support KG Tropicals. I like those folks. I, uh, yeah, yeah, I just think bubbles is amazing. So with that, let me get into the shipment report. I'll give you an update on the new import that's coming in. So shipping out, I'll tell you how that went. Importing in, I'll tell you how that's going and have some exciting news about our expansion. So import report. I am happy to report that as far as I've heard, everything I've sent this week so far has arrived alive and in good shape. There is one box that is delayed, it's in Colorado, and it's just going to Laramie. So it's literally two hours. It's like sitting two hours away from where it's supposed to end up. I don't know, but the customer and I have been in contact and it sounds like, you know, they, they, they know about it and hopefully everything will be okay, but <laughs> it's sitting in Fort Collins. It just has to get up to Laramie. Nah. I don't run FedEx, who knows? But everyone else, I think, has received their packages. And as far as everyone's reported, they've done okay. If I'm wrong or you have a problem, please email me, dan at dancefish.com. One thing I want to ask, because I have a, a whole bunch of um, Melanotania bosmane from Atinjo coming this week. And I did have a customer reach out to me about a week ago, and they ended up losing two of their Atinjos, um, kind of gradually over time. They still have some, they're still able to breed and things, but anytime anyone has, anytime I hear of multiple losses of uh, a group of fish that I sell, then I want to figure out, is that something on my end? Is that something I need to correct here? Or is that something that maybe happened there or just a, a fluke thing that happened in transit? So what I'd like to ask is anyone that got uh, Melanotania bosmani from the Atinjo population from me in this last import, would you let me know 
if they did well for you or if you ended up having losses too and problems. Um, if you want to do that privately, you can email me, dan at dansfish.com. Not everyone wants to share that information publicly. I get it. If you don't mind sharing it publicly, if you just throw it in a comment, um, please make it at dansfish so it highlights for me so I can see it. What this will do is it'll just tell me if, if a lot of folks are having problems with that fish, then I know I need to put the incoming import in a different aquarium because maybe there was something happening in that tank that I didn't know about till the end there or something. Um, this was one of the last, if not the last shipments of this location I shipped out. So maybe something developed and, and by the time I was down to the last few, it had grown to critical mass and there was a problem. I, I don't know, but just want to get a feel for how they're doing for Everyone else I send them to, so I know if there's something I need to be aware of or correct on my end. So that information would uh, would help us be successful here as we try to ship healthy fish to our customers so they have long-term success. So it would be greatly appreciated. So that's the shipment report. All good this week. Um, just a couple losses that happened, you know, a few weeks after this person got them because uh, they got them on the last import. Let's see here. What's next? Um, I was going to tell you something. Oh, let's do our giveaway next. I haven't talked about that yet. So Darren from Datya FL, that's how I'm going to say it. Datya FL is um, the name of the store on Get Gills. It's right here. Datya FL. That's how I'm saying it. It's got a little store here on Get Gills has some neat items for sale and has been generous enough to provide the fish for the giveaway tonight, which are these. We gave away a pair of these last week as kind of a last minute add on to the giveaway for last week. And then Darren said he had another pair that he could give away this week. So this week we're giving away another pair. Thank you so much to Darren for doing that. I always like to promote the folks that provide items for the giveaway. So just, just for a moment, here's his store on getgills.com, the fish he has for sale. So check him out. If you're looking for some fish, he's got them, and he's a nice guy who's supporting this, this channel. And uh, the giveaways are fun. It's really the purpose of the giveaways is just to have fun. And when someone else provides the giveaway so I don't have to pay for all the fun myself, it's so appreciated because... I've got the cost of the item we're giving away, the fish or the plants or whatever, plus the shipping on top of that and everything. So when we spread that around and other folks pitch in, it's just really helpful. And more than that, it just makes me think how tight our community is that people are willing to do that. So thank you, Darren. Thank you, everyone else that provided giveaways and I um, just really appreciate it. Speaking of giveaways, because your fish won the beta macrostoma, from uh, Preston John a little while ago and released a video recently about his trip to Preston John's house and to pick up those fish. And there's a lot of good footage of Preston's setup. Um, the Shodenai puffers that he has, as well as lots of other fish he has that I didn't even know he had. So that was really interesting to see. So cool video, feel free to check it out and uh, you'll get to see the macrostoma he got and, and be super jelly that he won and you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> that was an awesome giveaway. Okay, import report. I'm glad to say that I've got the confirmation. The 
import is definitely coming this this week should arrive here on friday so friday i should get a whole bunch of new fish now jonathan oh i'm still on this screen i'm so sorry there we go how's that that's better jonathan um is not here this time to help me with that so I don't know if I'm going to be able to do an unboxing video. It's an even bigger import than we did last time. Last time we got eight boxes. This is nine boxes and they're all confirmed. So they're really coming. Um, and just being able to take care of the fish in a timely manner is going to be my focus and not stopping and moving the camera and setting up and doing all that because I, I want to get these fish taken care of just as soon as possible. So I don't know if I'll be able to make an unbox an unboxing video. So I apologize in advance if I can't. I know a lot of people like those, but the priority has to be the fish. Not only for the business, but it's just the right thing to do, right? So when I have someone to help or I can just set up a camera in one spot and do a quick unboxing, then I love doing it for you. This is going to be a, a massive job and I'm going to be moving all over between two different buildings to unbox them all and get them all in their tanks. So I don't think we'll be able to do that, but they're coming. And I'm super excited because in the time of COVID, anytime you actually successfully get fish, it's just, it's just joyful. <laughs> it's one of those things. You, you try and you try. And at this point you just expect it to not work out. And then every now and then it does, and it's just like a cherry on top. It's just, yes. So that's where we're at. Um, Kayla's Aquatics, Jonathan is busy on the farm. He is busy on the farm. He's doing a lot. He's planted, he told me how many miles of vegetables he's planted in the last month, and I can't remember. It's got to be hundreds of thousands of vegetables. The, the guy is farming like crazy. He's also coding and taking care of get gills customers and and people that use the platform with technical support and stuff so yep the guy's as busy as i am i don't know how else to say it um so he can't come up for that anyway um there was one other thing oh the progress on the warehouse on, on the expansion um so I don't want to say anything too much, but I will say this. I was very excited today because I finally found the filtration system, at least most of it, that I'm going to need. I've been looking for a long time, looking at different options, looking at different costs and things. And I've had quotes ranging from over $600,000 for these crazy filtration systems on down to the affordable. So. There's a few companies that are affor affordable. It was funny. I got that quote and, and I contacted the rep and I said, I'm not cooking meth. I'm just trying to keep fish. I don't need like, this isn't a chemical plant. Give me your quote for like the, you know, I'm, I'm not creating pharmaceuticals. <laughs> just give me the quote for the equipment that I actually need. Because that was a shocker. I'll tell you over $600,000 for sediment filtration, UV sterilization, and I think that was it. I don't think they even had carbon or anything. So 
So I found a good sediment filtration system, it looks like, and a good sterilization system. Right now, I've been going back and forth between ozone and UV filtration to sterilize the water coming into the facility. So I make sure that the water that I put into my aquariums is pathogens free. So for those that don't know, the plan is I'm going to draw water in from a local river, clean it up, put it through my aquariums, and then return it to the local river. So I have to make sure that any possible diseases or pathogens uh, in the local river water are cleaned out and, and that water sterilized of those organisms before it gets to my aquariums. So I've been going back and forth. Right now, UV has the upper hand. I could get a quote or more information on ozone that would shift that and ozone would have the upper hand, but I'm getting narrowed down in my decisions and getting really close to knowing exactly which units I'm going to do. So right now it looks like sediment filtration and uh, UV. The piece that I'm still working on, there's two pieces I'm still working on. One is carbon. I'm trying to figure out how to get a carbon filter that can handle a million gallons of water a day. It's a massive system or 500,000, somewhere in that range. And so that's not your typical like carbon housing thing that you screw into your pipes in your house to take out chlorine, right? It's, it's a much bigger system. So I'm trying to find one of those that'll work. I've also been talking to folks and there's some question as to whether carbon will actually be necessary or not. So I'm exploring that further with people that know more about that than I do. Um, so I'm looking at that part of it. And then the other thing is heating the water. So during the winter, the river I'm pulling water from will have ice over the top of it. So the water will be just above freezing, whatever that tiny thing is that turns ice into water. So it doesn't freeze. So, and I'm going to have to raise that up to, you know, 78 degrees, 76 degrees, somewhere around there. So I'm exploring systems that do something that's pretty cool, just like an HRV for air, where they take the warm air from your house and put it through a manifold where the incoming cold air from outside your house in the wintertime um, sucks out the heat from the outgoing air. And so the cold air is warmed by the heat from the outgoing air, right? That's what a heat retention or heat recovery ventilator does as it freshens the air in your home. Um, there are systems like that for water too. So I found it, I'm working with an engineer to create a system where um, the outgoing water, if it's 78 degrees, it'll be going out. If the water coming in is 32 degrees and it goes through that exchanger, then that incoming water ends up being in the, in the mid seventies. So we only have to heat it it at the most six to eight degrees before it goes into the aquariums. So just the heat from the outgoing water is caught and put into the cold water coming in so that the energy savings in the green factor, like the, the good that's going to do for the environment is extreme. It's really high. Cause if you can imagine what it costs to heat hundreds of thousands of gallons of water a day, um, the cost and the energy usage is pretty high. So we're looking at that kind of uh, heat recovery or heat transfer system because I think it'll make this really sustainable and make me feel like I'm doing my part to not hurt the environment. What I don't know yet 
is the price tag for that unit. So I'm looking into them, um, you know, if it's $200,000 units, uh, I might not be able to do it. Um, so looking into that piece. So that's where we're at. We've got some equipment. As far as the land and the building itself and all that, there's some things that still have to fall in place before things are finalized. They're in the works, but until contracts are signed and, um, and money is actually transferred and things like that, I don't want to go too deep into that because I don't want to say, hey, we're going, we're building, it's done, and then come back to you next week and be like, no, we're not. Something happened. You know, I don't want that moment. So what I will say is things are progressing. We're further along than I thought we would be at this point for sure. And I want to thank everybody who has helped make that happen, whether you've been spreading the word or actually investing and giving money to the company in return for a share of the company, right? Investing in the company to make that possible all along that spectrum. It's uh, it's very appreciated. So that's, that's kind of what I had. Those are the things going on in my world. Um, I think that's all. Oh, I do want to apologize to Jonathan, not my partner in business, Jonathan, or brother, that guy, not, not random arms, Jonathan, but a customer, Jonathan, I won't say your last name because that could be weird for you, but you know who you are. Um, Things have been a little weird with the storm and the, the random blizzard and not being able to ship last week. Plus, there's so many fires going on and, and tropical storms hitting and stuff like that, that um, I'm trying to keep track of all that and make sure I don't ship a box to someone whose house is burning down or who's facing a hurricane and, and all that. Right. So I accidentally took Jonathan's order and it, it ended up in one of those don't ship yet piles. And Jonathan was expecting to receive his order today. I should have shipped it out yesterday. So it's the only person that happened to. And um, it's just part of the craziness of trying to manage the craziness of the world right now. And I'm sorry about that. I just either got stuck to a piece of paper that I moved or I accidentally put it in the wrong pile. So Jonathan, if you're listening, I apologize. Um, I will send that out to you tomorrow. I'll send you some extras. I'll, I'll try to make it so that... Uh, it doesn't end up being a bad experience, but I know how, how annoying that can be, it, especially, and I don't know if he did this, but imagine you took work off to receive the fish, right? And then I just don't send them. <laughs> that's, that's a problem. That's kind of a big deal. So I understand what it's like to be on the receiving end. Um, I've had it happen many times where I was expecting fish and someone was just like, oh, I'm going to send them next week. So, what? I like just organize my entire life this week so I could be there to receive them. What do you mean you're just going to ship them next week, right? So I get that and I apologize. It's just my error, not intentional whatsoever. Um, apart from that, everything's going good. Like really, really good. I'm so excited about where we're going. Oh, the last thing I should mention is... Um, I've been building an affiliate program and there are a couple folks and I need to reach out to these folks individually, but it's been a whirlwind. Um, there's a couple of folks that I've been talking to and I'm interested in bringing them on as affiliates and they know who they are. Um, I did not, at the time I was going to launch that program, I, I was hoping to launch it like now or a couple of weeks ago. I did not think that the fundraising effort would be this far along and that we might be like 
about ready to start building the warehouse. So I figured it would be several months before that could happen. In fact, when I first started talking about it and reaching out to folks about it, who I was interested in partnering with, I actually wasn't planning on starting a fundraising thing. This kind of all got started because this opportunity appeared in in order to take full advantage of it, I needed to start raising funds right then. So it was kind of this unexpected thing that just said, now's the time, as opposed to at the beginning of next year, when I thought would be the time that I start fundraising after I'd gathered more data and all that on the business. So I was talking to these affiliates a while ago, planning on getting them going, and we would have been up and running right now. Then this opportunity came and I kind of just focused on that because it was too good of an opportunity to not try to take advantage of it, right? So um, now that that's going on, if, if I start in construction of a new facility and all that, and I'm in the prep work of it right now, I'm hiring contractors and engineers and finding all the equipment and the vendors I need for the specialized equipment that I need and all that. Um, it doesn't make sense to launch an affiliate program when I'm having to divert so much of my attention away from sales and into expansion. So I think what I need to do, I think the smart thing to do is to um, wait until the warehouse, if things proceed as I think they're going to proceed, again, anything could happen. Someone could back out. Someone could um, could get hit by a bus. You know, I don't know. Things could happen. But if things are going to proceed as I see them proceeding, then I think it makes sense to kind of wait till the new facility is up and running, then bring on those affiliates, potential affiliates that I've been talking with. And... Um, and we go from there because if we launch affiliates now and, and they send a bunch of people and I'm not able to uh, focus on the new people because I'm focused on building a new warehouse instead, that'll be a bad experience for the people the affiliates send to me, which means they'll have put their reputation on the line and sent people to me. And then I will have disappointed them and, and that reflects badly on them. So, so that's where I'm at with that for anyone who's wondering is he still doing that? I haven't heard from him in a while about that. I, I've just suddenly this opportunity came and I had to jump on it and it sucked. If I'm not taking care of the fish or shipping fish or taking care of customers or bringing in new fish, the import, then I'm working on making this kind of thing that appeared, uh, this opportunity uh, happen. So anyway, that was rambling, but... I think I got the point across. So, <laughs> so with that, um, oh wait, Trey Reppy, I graduated in chemical engineering. If you want to use waste heat at 3,000 gallons per hour, 30,000 gallons per hour, you're going to need a rather long, large exchanger. Yes, possibly in the five or six figure range. It could be. I'm still waiting to see those figures. Yep. And if it's something that can't happen right now, um, then at least I know it's a possibility and I can put it in in the future. But Trey, I I don't know what it'll be. No clue. I found vast variance in a lot of these systems. Um, Some people are like, yep, 
we're hundreds of thousands of dollars. And some people are like, no, it's 30 grand for our unit, you know, so it, it's going to vary a lot. So it could very well be that it's out of my price range right now. Um, but then it'll be a target to shoot for, for the future, just cause I, I would like to get there. I would like to say, I'm not burning a bunch of energy that doesn't need to be burned if I can help it. But yeah, I, I hear you, Trey. It could be, could be a ton. Yeah. Okay. So I am now going to get to your questions and comments. So if you have a question, oh, we got to do the giveaway. I did the whole thing about the Darren's providing it, but I didn't tell you how to enter. It's easy. You can probably guess it. It's hashtag rainbow. So if you would like to be entered to win a pair of albino millennium rainbow fish, that's Glossolepis pseudoincisus. In fact, let me show you this. Uh, millennium rainbow albino. For those that might not know what this fish is, I imagine most of you do. But if you don't, this is a Glossolepis in pseudoincisus. And I don't mind that this is Imperial Tropicals because I think Mike does a good job over there. I, I, I don't have any problem uh, supporting places that I think are doing a good job and helping the industry become what it needs to be. So I think Mike does great. But this is one of his pictures of his... But the albinos take that beautiful fish that's already stunning and brighten it. So it reminds me of like a sun glow corn snake or something where you take out the, the dark pigments and that orange and yellow and, and red just pop. So it's a pair of these that is being given away. If you'd like to win a pair of those, hashtag rainbow will get you into the, uh, into the pool to possibly win that. 196. We can get to 200. We're super close. If you wouldn't mind taking a moment and sharing this out, we're about to get to the question and answer and discussion section of the stream instead of the uh, watch Dan ramble about <laughs> what's been going on during the week part of the stream. So it's a good time to bring folks in. If you wouldn't mind sharing it out and uh, liking and doing all that stuff that gets folks here, that would be greatly appreciated. Okay, so if you have a question or comment that you would like me to get to, um, what I need you to do is this. So this is what I'm seeing, and this bright orange box happens when you type the at symbol and then start typing Dan's fish. It'll pop up as an option, you select it, and it turns bright orange for me. That's what I'm looking for as I go down the chat. The other thing that I would like to say is that please don't repost and repost and repost. That's been an, an issue the last few weeks, although last week it was much better. Please just post your question or comment once, unless I've skipped it. If you know that I've passed it and not answered it, then please feel free to post it again. But don't just post it every three minutes or something like that, thinking that the more you post it, the more likely I am to see it. I go down the, the chat pretty slow. I try to give in-depth answers and really engage with each question and comment. Um, so I'm usually way behind in the chat and I often don't make it to the end. So if you start posting 10 minutes from now and, and you just keep going, it doesn't mean it'll get down to your original post any quicker. Okay. So that helps the mods out. It's, it makes their jobs really hard if you're just 
kind of spamming the chat by posting your question or comment over and over. So if I've passed it, though, then please feel free because I, I haven't meant to pass it. Igor, not Edgar. I, that's what I mean. Your name is no longer Igor. Your name is not Edgar. <laughs> not Edgar Anonymous. The rainbow arrived. They are beautiful and healthy. I'm glad to hear it. Awesome. That's what I like to hear. Thanks for letting me know. Black Label Carlene. The rice fish and female umbellus arrived great today. Awesome. Thanks, Carlene. Thanks for letting me know, and I'm always glad to hear it. That's the norm. Um, and I just, I like running a business to where it's fun to engage with my customers because usually we've worked together to make this a success. But something bad happens. Let me know. I will take care of you. Mirik Tomshik, the fish did arrive to Laramie. They did. Okay, so the box wasn't. I sent you an email as well just before the live stream. So Mirik and I have been going back and forth because that's the order that we thought. Tracking said it was stuck in in um, Colorado and it, it didn't have any like out for delivery notice or anything like that. So it looked like it wasn't going to arrive till maybe tomorrow, but here we go. It arrived. So that's good because that means the percentage of FedEx delivering next day just went up a little more than I had it originally. Merrick, I'm thrilled to hear that. Um, I'll check the email after the stream. Hopefully everyone arrived in good shape and is doing well. And thanks for the order. I, it's always nice when I can um, send fish to a neighbor <laughs> because pretty much anyone in Wyoming is a neighbor because, as we say here, Wyoming's just one small town with really long streets. Rich thanking Darren for the rainbow giveaway last week. That was really cool, Darren, that you did that. And thanks for doing it again this week. And next week, I think we already have a lineup, uh, someone giving away, I believe it was some plants. Because your fish, very cool. Thanks. Hey, you're welcome. Thanks for the video and thanks for playing. And um, thanks for the content, Seth. I, I'm enjoying your channel. So Seth recently also did kind of just a, a tour of his fish facility, his fish setup, I guess. And it's the kind of tour that for me, it really engages me. It's just, here's the fish. I see what's going on. Next tank. Um, I don't know. It just felt like visiting a friend's fish room. So it was a fun tour for me. Ginger Graves, good to see you. I hope you're doing well. I'm thinking about you, lady, and sending you all my best. As well as Punchy Paints. Hope you're recovering, lady. I've been... I'm, I'm way behind on everyone's YouTube channels, honestly. So... I, I don't have the latest updates, but I hope you're all doing well. Fish Tank Barn, have Candy do the unboxing fun. Yes, that's right. Come on down, Candy. You want to come on down Friday? We'll do an unboxing because Candy doesn't have anything going on. She's not busy at all. <laughs> you're invited, Candy. I know Candy won't be able to, though. She's too busy. Goose Not Maverick, I know a guy that builds ozone systems for a living. Super cool stuff. It is super cool. And again, I keep going back and forth. And it really comes down to budget because, well, budget and safety. They, they both kind of do the same thing when it comes to sterilizing water. They go about it different ways. But the end result is that pathogens is dead. Um, Ozone might help a little more with clarifying water. Maybe, maybe not. I'm not really clear on that. But the one thing ozone has against it is 
it can be dangerous. So if you're putting in too much ozone in the system and the ozone gets through the filtration unit into the aquariums at a certain level, it can kill all your fish. There's a little danger there. Um, and I, one reason I was so hot on ozone is um, there was a, a company that creates a kind of a new, kind of the cutting edge ozone company, I would say, out of Europe um, that I was talking with. And my understanding was that they had a residual ozone sensor that you could put after the ozone generator that would sense how much ozone retained in the system, was retained by the system after it should have all been taken out by the carbon. And then that that would automatically adjust the amount that the ozone is generating. So I was like, great. Then you have this system that constantly monitors itself. So you'll never get too much ozone down the pipe and into your aquariums. But once we started really digging into the details over the last couple of weeks to really build the proper system, um, I, I brought that up again. She's like, yes, we have that. But and then she listed all the problems with it. So suddenly it became a thing where we've got to go in and every day we check that we do a, a test for the residual ozone and, and adjust accordingly. And I don't know how comfortable I am with um, not having a system that automatically adjusts because what if that starts happening at 2 a.m. and we don't come into work until 6 or 7 in the morning. So there's been a few hours where this problem has been happening and no one knows because we haven't got there and tested yet. By then, is that enough time to like wipe out all the fish? I, I don't know. So, so I'm, that's one reason I've pulled back from the ozone a little bit. I was just a little concerned about the safety. I thought that issue was kind of taken care of by this new, more modern system. It turns out in theory it is, but in practice, um, that it's not good enough to really rely on for something as sensitive as fish. So it's a little bit of a bummer. Danikin saying, hey, bud. Well, hey, Danny or Kenny E or whoever that is. Good to see you. Hope you're doing well. And um, I can't wait to see all the videos once they're all edited of the places you visited and all that. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing the results of the uh, National Fish fam tour that Kenny E took and hope Danny is doing well. Um, I think she doesn't arrive back home till tomorrow. So I hope she's still having a blast in Yellowstone or wherever she's at. New Mexico aquatics, best temps for fundal Panchak's gardener. I husbandry, I would say low seventies, um, 72 to 75 would be great. Now they're not as sensitive to high temperatures as a lot of the killifish species. So you can keep them up to 78. You could keep them at 80 degrees, but their lifespan will be a little bit shorter. They'll spawn a lot quicker and have a high metabolism. But ideally, most killifish keepers are shooting for around 72 to 74 degrees in their fish rooms if they're just killifish nerds for most species. And the gardener I'll do fine down there. In fact, there's, there's a lot of killifish. They're so variable, right? There's pupfish that need it up in the high 80s to thrive. Don't mind it at 90 degrees or higher. Aphania, same thing. But then there's entire groups like diapterons and things which don't like it above 65, 68 degrees. So there's this wide range. But 
Killifish in general, when we're talking about killifish in the hobby, we're generally talking about the species from West Africa. And those tend to come, they're non-annual species that tend to come from these small streams that are shaded over by the forest. And so the stream is running and so you have evaporative cooling and it's shaded by the forest. So you don't have a lot of direct sunlight on it to heat it up. And so that results in fairly cool water, even though you're in a tropical zone. Also, a lot of them, the diapterons especially, are, are in mountain streams. So they're a little higher in elevation and so they can be cooler. So generally when we're talking about killifish, we're talking about non-annual West African fish. Those are your garden rise and striatums, your aphiosimians and your fundalopanchaxes, most of them. Um, chrome aphiosimians, things like that. So low 70s to mid 70s is what most killie nuts shoot for. Now, once we get out into the other areas, your nothos are out on the savanna. Their water gets freaking hot. So um, a lot of killifish keepers still keep them lower temperature because they want to expand their lifetime. But I would say mid to upper 70s for those would actually be more natural to them. Same with a lot of the Sinolibia species and annuals um, from South America, although some of those South American species come from mountain streams as well. So there's a lot of variability. But that's the general thing with when we talk about killifish don't like it hot. We're just talking about that subset. But because that subset is so popular, that's generally um, what we think about. Aishan AS, do you have to get permission from the government entity to draw water from a river? Yeah, I had to get a permit from the state engineer's office and that's done. So and then I also have to get permission from the Department of Environmental Quality and I have that. They've approved the system. Um, I'm like exceeding every parameter by magnitudes. I, I, even if there was no permitting thing, I would still be very careful about it. So it wasn't a problem. I basically said I want to do this. And I said, and I know that there can be issues. So let me explain how I'm going to do it. And I told him what the system would be. And it was like, oh, easy. Okay. You know, um, but yeah, we did have to get permission and it wasn't that easy. There's still a long process you have to go through and things. But once, once people understood the system and what I was doing, um, it was kind of a, all the parameters were more, all the requirements were more than met is, is how I'll put that. And the nice thing about it is it's non-consumptive use. So I'm not just taking water from the river and like irrigating crops with it or something. Not, not that I don't think we have to eat. I'm not, if you grow crops for a living, I'm not, I'm not saying you shouldn't grow crops, but what I am saying is that's consumptive use. So you take that water from the river, put it on the land. A lot of it evaporates or gets soaked up in the vegetation and doesn't return to the river. Whereas in my use case, pretty much all the water gets returned to the river and gets returned cleaner than when I took it out. So when the agencies understood that, it was like, oh, you're actually doing the river a service. Please go do it. So it was, um, I wouldn't say it was easier in a thing. You have to know what you're doing, have all your ducks in a row, but, um, and there is time. It just, there's a lot of bureaucracy and entities that have to approve it within the chain of command of those organizations, those agencies. But um, yeah, it was pretty clear from the get-go that, that the plan was going to work.
Fish Tank Barn, I lived in a little bit of your world today. I had a city inspection today on some of the plumbing of the fish barn. Learned a lot about vacuum breaker valves in the last couple of weeks. Yep. Yep. Well, I hope that that's easy to install and, and get all all taken care of. Yeah. One of the, one of the things that I see, oh, can I show this? Okay. One of the, I, I wanted to show it, but I don't think I can actually take off the lid of that tank and get in close enough that you'll see what I'm talking about. But whatever feeds your aquarium in an auto water change system. Okay. If you have water coming through a pipe or a tube or a line down into your aquarium, there has to be a gap between the end of that and the water surface, especially if you're on city water or, or a well or something, any kind of system where the water from your aquarium entering that system would be harmful. The reason is, is if there's not a gap, an air gap between your water feed and the surface water of your aquarium, then the water from your aquarium will go up that tube and it will enter your city water supply or your house water supply or your groundwater supply, where, wherever you get your water from. Um, I mean, there's check valves and, and different things you can do to prevent this, which is what you have to do. But an air gap will do it as well. You'd be amazed at how much the water will go up and mix. You think all the water is just going one direction from the, the feed down to the aquarium, but it's not. Um, water from your aquarium is going up into the line as well and being distributed back through the system that brought the water to you or to your home. So you, you do need to be careful about that. And by you, I'm not saying you, Mike. I'm just saying in general, for people that are unaware, um, if you're feeding water to your tank, leave a gap of air between the end of the feed line and the highest vault, the highest level the water will get in your aquarium so that you don't get water being sucked back up into the water supply. <laughs> That'll get the code band down on you hard fast and for good reason. Um, no one needs that in their drinking supply. Brian Klimazewski, $5. Hey, Brian, thanks for the super chat. Always appreciated, never required, but it does make the wife super happy. Is geothermal... Is... <laughs> I think I said your last name okay, but I got hung up on thermal. <laughs> I get through Klimazewski and I can't say thermal? Come on. Is geothermal heating possible for the warehouse and heating water? I'm considering it when I build myself upfront cost high, but tax breaks and credit. I'm definitely looking into that. Um, and I don't know the answer yet. I have to compare that to the water exchange kind of manifold thing and, and everything heat exchange manifold for the water system and all that. So I'm not far enough along that path, Brian, to know that. If anyone here has information on geothermal heating, um, let me know. If, if you know someone that does that or is an expert in that or an engineering firm that creates those systems or whatever, and you worked with them and you like them, would you let me know? If you send me an email with their contact information, that would be absolutely wonderful. I do want to look into geothermal. Because imagine this, imagine if I could heat the incoming water with geothermal and then heat the outgoing and, and then still have the ex manifold exchange. That would be like the greenest way ever to treat water, to heat water. That would be amazing. 
Alicia in AS, do you have to test the return water and file reports? Will a local or state authority also monitor it at times during the year? So I don't have to do any of that, but I'm going to. So I'm not required to do any of that because of how I have it set up. But, um, but I'm going to be testing it. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I'll know what it is because it's my aquarium water. And I'll be testing my aquarium water, my system water, very, very frequently. And that's the same water that's the discharge water. So if the aquarium water is good, then the discharge water is good because it's the same water. But I'll be doing that for sure. Um, it depends on your location. It depends on how much water you're drawing. It depends on the biomass of your system, all those things. So... For me right now, I fall in the category of I'm small time and don't have to do that. But as I grow, that, that could change. Trey Reppy. <laughs> Chad just jumped. Chad just took like a 20-yard a long jump right when I read that name. <laughs> just a moment. Okay, let me see if I can find that one again. Nope. Beast Heart is the next one I can see. I'm sorry, Trey. Uh, it jumped on me. I can no longer get up to your question or comment. So please feel free to leave it. The next one I can see is Beast Heart saying, it dance fish heating for 100 gallon pond ideas. Um, so if you're above that comment or question and I missed you, please feel free to post it again. 100 gallon pond. So I'm going to imagine this is outside if it's an indoor pond, your, your chore is a lot easier, but I'm going to imagine it's outside and I'm going to imagine you get cold winters. So my first word of advice is to insulate, insulate, insulate. Um, for my pond, which I don't have any water in right now, I'm, it's just been too busy. But what I did is I took, um, spray foam. You can buy cans of spray foam at your hardware store. And I put an inch to two inches of that all around the sides and bottom of that pond. So it's got an inch to two inches of styrofoam basically around it, adhering to it. Now be aware that stuff breaks down with UVB. So sunlight will kind of break that down over time and get it all kind of gross and flaky and powdery. But I'm imagining you're going to bury this pond or build some kind of like decorative wooden thing around it, sheath around it or something so that you don't see that. Um, if you're not burying it or covering it or something, um, then that won't work long-term because the sun will break down that insulation. But if you do bury it or what have you, then that stuff lasts pretty darn good. And it's very good at insulating. The other thing is have a cover on your pond. Um, you can get that basically um, greenhouse material. It's like corrugated twin wall plastic, clear plastic, right? It looks like corrugated cardboard, but made out of plastic. It's clear. And you can seal the ends of that so that you've kind of got this air trapped in there and use that as a cover for your pond. There's other things you can use well, but that's just one idea. So it's clear, so it'll let the sunlight and heat in, but it's, it's air is caught in there, so it's good insulation. So that's the first thing. Instead of how am I going to provide heat to the pond, let's talk about how are you going to conserve heat in the pond and maintain the temperature through insulation. Once that's done, that is going to make it so much easier to heat uh, long, a uh, long, cold winter. 
after that, I would go with with a heater, um, like an aquarium heater. And I would call Gemco and say, I don't know how a hundred gallon pond outside in the winter. Personally, I would go with a thousand watt heater on a thermostat. And um, I would call Gemco and say, what's your best thousand watt heater on a thermostat? And they'll get you one that's good and uh, tell you how to use it so you don't melt a hole through your pond. There's ways you can uh, kind of uh, attach it to, oh, should I just go get mine and show you? Uh, you can just attach it to like this PVC frame so that the heater itself is never touching the pond because it could melt through it, right? Anyway, John at Gemco can walk you through that. And I don't get paid to promote Gemco. I've just used them for decades now. And they're always there when I need them. And they, they're straight with me. They don't, they're a good company. They're a good, honest company. And John will help you um, with your technical things. Like I have this many tanks. How much water do I need? How much air pressure do I need? Which pump does that? You know, he helps you with that stuff. So, um, but I would go with a thousand watts. It might be overkill, but outside in the winter, I'd feel better with that. And make sure it's on a thermostat, whatever you do. Um, I'd probably do a thousand watt titanium heater. That's that's off the cuff what I'm thinking about. But notice the, the larger part of that conversation is insulation. Um, heating is secondary. Sorry, we still got smoke in the air. My throat's all bleh. Last week or the week before is all the fires up in um, up in Candy's neck of the woods, up in Montana. Um, now we, we had a fire down the freeway a couple hours and it's yeah, kind of blown over. Patrick Shaw, what are some of your favorite food for rainbows that are about one inch in size? Thank you, sir. And the one I really like a lot, Extreme Nano Pellets. I'm not promoted, I, I'm not paid by Extreme. I'm not like a brand ambassador or a affiliate. I don't get any money or anything for promoting them. But I have to tell you how, how impressed I've been with that food. Um, the ingredient list is stellar. I, it's just amazing. And what I really like about the Nano Pellet is it's half a, um, it's really small. What is it? Half a milliliter, milliliter, <laughs> half a millimeter. So it's even smaller than Hikari micro pellets. And I like that. There's a lot of small fish I have, like the Baroris brigitte, the chili rasbora, um, little guppies, little pseudomugils, wild type bettas, a lot of small fish. And I don't want to be giving them a pellet that they're going to eat and then have it expand in their mouth and pop their jaw or it's just really difficult for them. Food should be easy for fish to eat. In general, you want small food. So when you say one inch little rainbows, that's the one I think about. But those other foods are good, crush them up. Now, variety is what helps fish a ton. So I would also mix in there, I just, I don't have it mixed up here, but I'd mix in some rapashi, um, I'd mix in some live or frozen or both if you can, and vary it up a bit. But Extreme is a pretty good staple, and then you could vary it from there. If you're trying to grow them quickly, then maybe when you're home in the morning and at night, you could feed 
some kind of pellet or flake, and then maybe put a chunk of rapashi in there uh, so they can feed on that throughout the day, or a bunch of live food that'll stay alive in the tank throughout the day. You'll be amazed how long baby brine shrimp will last. It'll last eight hours, six hours, something like that in a freshwater aquarium. So you can put a bunch of baby brine shrimp in there, a bunch of, there's all kinds of different species of worms and nematodes you could use. So when I think one inch, I'm thinking, how do I get these to grow? Because I'm assuming they're not pseudomugils. I'm, I'm assuming they're one of the Melanotania or Chilotherina or something like that, or Clausolepis. Um, so I would try to keep food in front of them at all times. Anyway, that's my thoughts on that. But variety, 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 in my opinion, is what works. I'm not a tetra color granules all the time type of guy. Although I know that works. LR Bretts, I know it works for you. And I, it's fine. But for me, I want variety. Paul, my pH comes out of the faucet at 9.4. <laughs> Are you like in Salt Lake City, Utah? Will just adding driftwood bring it down to an acceptable level? It's not so much what your pH is as what your alkalinity is, your buffer capacity, um, which I, I know pH is, I know 9.4 gives you an indication that that's really high, but it's not the same. Um, I would say that you would have to add a lot of driftwood and have it sitting there a very long time to bring down a pH with, with what I'm assuming has a very high buffer capacity. Will it happen? It could, but you're not going to be able to change water like ever. So the way, hmm, so being that you wouldn't be able to change water very much at all, maybe that works for you. If it doesn't, then what I would say is find a way to, to actually soften the water, uh, mix in some RODI water, uh, reverse osmosis deionized water, or even some um, distilled water. If you do distilled water, I wouldn't pour it right in the tank. Uh, put it in a bucket, mix some tank water or tap water, whatever you're doing with it first, let it age, and then put it in the tank. Distilled water is very hungry. It's pure water, and water wants to attach to things and absorb things. It's a very hungry molecule. And so if you just put it in your tank, then it can start attaching itself, kind of attacking the slime coat of your fish, their eyes, their gills, things like that. So, well, their eyes aren't as sensitive as ours. But um, so, so you kind of want to stabilize it before you add it. But that's the route I, was, I would go if I was really trying to bring it down. And the only reason I would try to bring it down is if I was trying to breed a species that did not have viable gametes at your pH or alkalinity. It's really more about hardness. But again, that's a that pH makes you think you have pretty hard water. So um, apart from that, I honestly wouldn't mess with it. I would keep the water clean. I would accept this is the water I have. And you would be surprised if you keep the water clean um, how many soft water species, black water species, pH of 3.5 to 4.5 species, you can keep as long as the water is clean and they've been uh, quarantined and acclimated and recovered from import or shipping or whatever. So that's my thoughts on that. Okay, Paul. Oh, just got you, Paul. Mickey M. Hi, Dan and all. Well, hi, Mickey and all. Night lurking from Sweden. Awesome as always. Hey, thanks, Mickey M. And uh, 
Yeah. <laughs> it's got to be 4 a.m. where you are. <laughs> I'm flattered you would be here. Orange Coves, my box of 100 chili rasbora is missing. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> uh, you know how to get a fella's heart pumping. <laughs> oh, wait. I'm fine. There it goes. Jerry Serple Morris, how long should I grow out CPDs before they're ready to sell? I've been pulling out a bunch of fry, but they're taking forever to grow up. So, Jerry, this is so variable. I, I wish I could just tell you two months uh, or something, but here's the real deal with fish growth. It's all about quantity of food, quality of food, and keeping the water clean when you're pumping them full of food. So if you can find a way to keep live food in front of those babies all day long and are able to maintain or deal with the aquarium, even though there's a ton of waste being produced because they're eating all day long and pooping all day long, lots of water changes, upping the filtration system, whatever, lots of plants, whatever you have to do, that will give you the highest growth. Now, metabolism is attached to temperature as well. So maybe raising the temperature a bit could help you. Although word of caution, CPDs, which are celestial pearl danios for those that are galaxy rasboras, for those that don't know, um, they don't like it really, really hot. So I wouldn't take their temperature up past, I don't know, 74 would be great for them, right? So you, they probably don't need a temperature bump because generally we keep our aquariums higher than that. But don't keep CT, CPDs too hot. They'll get stressed. And when they're stressed, they start coming down with um, especially ick type parasites, protozoan infections and things like that. And often those won't start happening until the endocrine system kicks in. So as soon as fish go through fish puberty, you'll start seeing you thought you were okay. And suddenly it's like, what's going on? When the system undergoes that transformation, um, you, you kind of see what your system's really doing if they get sick or not. So keep them on the upper end of their tolerance without stressing them as far as temperature goes. Keep live food in front of them all day long and change a ton of water so that they're basically living in a river, right? Constant fresh water, constant food, and they'll grow as quickly as possible. So their growth rate will be a variation between the theoretical high of how much you can feed and how much you can change the water and how, how much you can optimize their metabolism and the reality of your life. You got to go to work. Maybe you can't feed them all day long, all that stuff, right? So Somewhere in that range, we'll find the growth rate that's real for you. And I don't know what that is. That's different for every fish keeper, depending on their system, their schedule, what foods they have access to, um, and all that. So it's really hard to give a time on growth rates. Chandra Sakar, how do you calcium to your tanks? I really don't, except for I've got a tank with a couple tanks with a whole bunch of snails in them that I'm raising because I've got the Shodeni puffers coming um, and I want a lot of snails for them. So I'll throw Tums in there, but not Tums, the generic great value from Walmart Tums. They don't have any coloration in them or nothing, which A, makes them cheaper, which is great, but B, makes it so they have less color and additives in them. So when you put them in your tank, if they're like 
red flavored, whatever that flavor is, they don't turn your water red, right? It's just white. So sometimes we'll add some of that in there, but generally I don't add calcium to my tanks. Um, this is probably a reason why I don't get tons of live bearers in. I get live bearers sometimes and I can keep them and be successful. Um, I have to make sure the foods I'm feeding them have pretty good calcium in them. So I kind of skew for that when I'm feeding live bearers. But um, yeah, so I do, I, I will say this though, for live bear tanks and, and other tanks of fish that like hard water, I do add crushed coral. That That is a trick that works. Um, it works minimally in my system because it's an auto water change system. So there's fresh water coming in all the time and diluting the hardness with the soft water that's coming in from my, my tap water is just soft, right? So I add crushed coral, it, you get a little hardness, but the fresh water coming in all the time kind of counteracts that to a point. So I don't know how much it actually helps, but it makes me feel better. <laughs> Scott D, what do you think would be the max amount of zebra daniels for a 55-gallon species tank? Well, if you were in a lab and you were keeping um, zebra daniels in a little lab tank, I don't know what it is, a gallon or so, then there have actually been studies done on this, and I can't remember what the amount was, but it was something, I want to say it was like 19 fish per little lab zebra danio container something that blew my mind i was like wow that many um that's how many were the optimal for that now those lab systems even though there's not a lot of space in that little container have massive filtration life support units that that circulate water to those so the water is is pristine but what this was was this was a study on stress in danios so what they found is yeah, I would have to, so this is, this comes from the um, fish welfare module um, done by an aquarium vet named Rob um, at the um, aquarium, what, what's it called? Aquariumvet.com or aquariumveterinarian.com or something. You can go there and, and buy these information sessions where you can learn about fish. So there's one on animal welfare and what they did is they did a study where they put certain numbers of zebra danios in these containers. And you would think like, ooh, maybe like three or six. More than that would be way too crowded. What they found though, and they, they, they measured the fish's stress hormone levels. That's how they decided which configuration was less stressful on the fish, right? Went right to it. What they found was, I think the number was 19. I'd have to look, I don't remember, but it was higher than I expected. If there's only six in there, let's say, they were pretty stressed because there weren't enough of them and this is a schooling grouping fish. If there were more than 19, then they were stressed because they couldn't school properly because there wasn't enough space. But at like 19 or whatever the number was, I can't remember exactly, but that's the number that's in my head, obviously. Um, it was like, oh, there's enough of us to have a nice school so we feel comfortable and safe and we can act, swim normally so we're not stressed. So that was the number where the fish's stress hormones were the least when they studied how many zebra danios to keep in one of those little uh, lab uh, tanks, I guess you would call them, containers. So <laughs> going off that, it's a ton. Now, in reality, um, 
if all I had was zebra Daniels and a 55 gallon zebra Daniels are going to get about like that. I like a big school, but I personally like to have enough room in the tank to where they can all kind of go to one side as a group and then move over here as a group. Not that Daniels always school like a tight cloud, but um, I would probably go with, I'd probably start at 50 and see what it looked like from there. That's what I would do. Now, established tank, you're not going to get an ammonia spike from introducing that many fish, all, all that stuff, right? But as far as just the number of fish that I would start with, it'd probably be that in an established seasoned aquarium without any other fish in it. Elizabeth Lamb, I had snail leeches show up in a tank. Ooh, they're quickly going through the bladder snail population. Can they be harmful to fish once their food source is gone? Elizabeth, I have no experience with snail leeches. I've never had them. So I don't know how to answer your question. Um, I'm sorry, I do not know. If anyone here has had experience with that organism, would they uh, put a reply to Elizabeth Lamb and let her know? Varanid guy, hey, hope you're doing well. In your experience, do SAEs ship poorly? No. I had five arrive that all died within a week. Everything else did perfectly. They just dropped one by one and they had no visual indications. Nope. Um, SAEs in my experience are super hardy. One thing about them though, is they have super long intestinal tracts. So it takes a couple days to really clear their system. So if, if they were with a bunch of fish in the box that don't have a digestive tract like that, and they were all caught and just put in the bags and then sent to you, then I guess I'm not really surprised because the other bags probably had a lot less poop in them. And the Siamese algae eaters were probably pooping up a storm and then they're going to get ammonia. And, and then of course they're going to do bad in shipping. But in general, if they're shipped correctly, I found SAUs to be very hardy shippers. So um, without knowing how they were prepped, um, how they were kept before they were shipped to you. Uh, were they long-term? Were they all recovered from import? Uh, were they fat and sassy or were they stressed out and, and fighting something? You know, I don't know, Varanid guy, what could have happened, but nope. My experience, if they're properly prepped, they're very hardy. Brian Klimazewski, have you seen, oh yes, I have the red lizard loach. Um, on any of your import lists. Yes, and I can get them. I haven't though, because I don't have the right setup for those. So what this is, is let me uh, notice I avoided saying the scientific name just because I recognize it. I know what it is. I know how to read it, but <laughs> I have a hard enough time with Klimazewski. <laughs> now you're throwing Omoloptera Orthogontata at me. <laughs> um, these guys, I've had them. I like them. I can bring them in. I know what they are, but they're a hillstream type loach. So they, they've kind of got, they're so neat. So they've got the hillstream type finish coming off, but not quite to the same extent is, um, is like a Sewilia lineolata or something like that, a reticulated hillstream loach, one of the flat species. And so there's this neat mix between like a botia body shape and a hillstream. It's like a botia and a hillstream had a baby. Um, but they do come from hillstreams. They need, you know, good water quality and they appreciate flow and high dissolved oxygen and all that. And 
Now, I know that hill streams can be kept in other environments as well, as long as oxygen is saturated enough and they don't get too hot. But my point is, when I bring in hill stream loaches like that, I'm going to want to have kind of a really good setup for them. So I'm not set up to do that right now, but I can get them in. I just choose not to. All right, let's see what folks are saying. KP, ooh, $2 with the Foxcat that's giving me the thumbs up. That's awesome. Thank you, KP. I appreciate the super chat. Hope you're doing well. Nurse Beckus, Nurse Beckus, I have to say, it's a pleasure to have you around. Thank you so much. Um, Nurse Beckus throwing down $9.99 with, um, with a sticker whose head I can see but I can't read the comments, so we'll get to that in a bit. But thank you for the super chats. Always appreciated, never required, but they do make my wife super happy. Danikin Aquatics, hope to get those done soon. Those videos, you got your work cut out. I bet you have so much footage. Paul, you know ozone is dangerous when they took it all out of air purifiers now. Well, that's different. When they're taking ozone and throwing it right into your living room, yeah, that that's a problem. <laughs> but th this system is ozone's put into the water, purifies the water. It's a closed system, right? All in pipes and different enclosed, uh, I don't know what you call them, um, enclosures. <laughs> and um, so the ozone goes into the water reacts with all the biological materials and things and kind of rips them apart. And then, well, other chemical bonds as well, tears them apart. But then it goes, it's still in a closed pipe, goes and hits a carbon filter, which removes the ozone. And then the water that is now cleaned goes to your aquariums. Whereas those air, those ozone generators that you like stick in your living room, those are generating ozone and putting it in the air and you're breathing it right in. Yeah, that's horrible. Oh, you ever walked into a room with one of those going and like, it smells like electricity in here. What is going on? This is wrong. Yeah, that can't be good. You're breathing in O3. It's, it's like if hydrogen peroxide was in a gas form and you could breathe it in. Why, why would you do that? <laughs> Not you, Paul, but in general, it just... It blows my mind that people want to inject ozone into the air they breathe. Now, there's probably 10 people in here that are like, I do it and it helps. I have this respiratory disease. And if I don't, like, I get it. It's fine, fine. I'm not. It just seems crazy to me is all. But what do I know? <laughs> Marcy SoCal. Is there a way to estimate a fancy goldfish in Aranda? Age by size that you find reliable? No. Some Arandas are super old, but they've been stunted, so they're never going to grow very big. Others have been kept in really good, clean conditions with tons of food, and they're super big. It's uh, those growth rates things, yeah, same kind of thing. That issue of how fish grow depends on environment and food and temperature. And so those three variables can yield very different results. So I don't know of a way to do that. Ah, that smoke in the air, man. Like coats my throat with dryness. All right. We're at 812. You know what we're going to do? We have 210 watching. Thanks for being here, y'all. We're going to do the giveaway now. And then all those folks that showed up at last minute to try to win something. <laughs> all right. So 
We have 119 people entered to win a pair of Millennium Rainbow Fish Albino from Darren at Daddy Yef L store on Get Gills. Thanks again, Darren, for providing that. Before we do the giveaway, I just again like to thank Darren by pointing out his store. This is his store. Here's some of his things. Here are more of his things. And you can go visit it to see if there's something there, some of those things that you would like. So I'm just going to link this real quick. I'm sure the mods already did, but just to thank Darren. Now, the winner is John Morgan. John Morgan, you have won a pair of Darren's own personal albino millennium rainbow fish, Glossolepis pseudoincisus. To claim your winnings, if you would just leave a comment here so we know you're here within the next minute, um, then you will be official. <laughs> then please send me an email, dan at dancefish.com. I need your first, and actually, I just need you to say, hey, I'm the dude that won the rainbow fish, and I'll connect you with Darren, and he can get your address and stuff, because he's the one sending them. Thanks again, Darren. So just waiting for a reply here. See if John Morgan, come on down, if John's in the house. I know that there's quite a delay between what I see and what you guys see, and it kind of drives me nuts. You'd think that the creator, the person running the live stream would want to see things in real time, but whatever. Um, so we're just waiting here. Nothing yet. A lot of congratulations to John Morgan, but no John Morgan. Not that I see. Looking over here, hoping it appears here. Yay, I'm here. Okay. John is here. John, congratulations. Send me an email, Dan at Dan's Fish. Let me know that you're the dude that won and we'll take care of you. And once again, Darren, I think that's an awesome giveaway. I love that fish. And I think that they're going to brighten up anyone's tank so much. They're so neat. Okay. Now everyone's straggling in at the end in the hopes of winning something without being here. <laughs> Rockford Fishkeeping. Evening. Sorry I'm late. Hope you're doing well. Did a fall cleaning of the PC and had it all apart and took a bit longer than I thought. It always does. I know what you're talking about. Fish tank barn, the inspection went well. I researched and installed the vacuum breaker before they came. Oh, good. Yep. You good. Ginger cool. New King Betta. Crammed in the little cup. I did not spot Columnaris until home. If taken back, he will die for sure. Only fish in a 20, lo 20, lo 20 liter or 20 long. I'm going with 20 long. Can I just treat with meds or do I need to bleach the tank? Oh, um, Okay. So let me get into that with you. The first thing I would say is, how do you know it's columnaris? There are lots and lots of pathogens that fish can get. And just because it has like slimy white spots on it or whatever, doesn't necessarily mean it's one thing or another. Um, so if you know it's columnaris somehow, or it's just your best guess, and that's what we're going to treat for, then what I would say is treat them in that tank and here's how I would do it, I think. Um, okay, if you have a separate hospital tank you can put him in, I would do that. But columnaris is a gram-negative bacteria. So to kill columnaris or other gram-negative bacteria, what I found to be very, very successful is 
canamycin and nitrofurazone together and treat the fish with that. So if you can get your hands on canamycin and nitrofurazone, that would be fantastic. Um, you can get it, I believe, on eBay. It's a product called Spectrogram, which is already a blend of those two medicines, or you can blend it yourself. Be aware that it will kill your plants and it will kill your biological filtration bacteria because those are gram negative. So if you have a separate hospital tank, great. If you don't and you have um, another container, like even a five-gallon bucket, I would take your filter. I think it's sponge filter. I don't know what you got, but I'd find another container you could put aquarium water in and run your filter in there so that you don't lose the bacteria colony. So I'd set that aside, let that run. I'd bump the temperature in his tank up to about 86 degrees Fahrenheit. I would add five grams to eight grams of salt per liter of water. And I would treat the columnaris and uh, nitrofurazone combo. It's columnaris, I'm sorry, can, um, hang on, canamycin and nitrofurazone combo. That's what I would do. I would do that for 10 days um, for a full round of that antibiotic, a week to 10 days. If after that time he's recovered, then I would take your filter and put it right back. And I wouldn't worry if there's residual bacteria in the filter or whatever. If he's settled in enough that he was able to fight off that infection with the aid of antibiotics and he's acting healthy and eating normally and all that, then if there's a little residual columnaris in that filter, it's probably going to be fine. I mean, you might want to rinse it out and clean it out. Um, you know, I don't mean like bleach it out or put it under the tap. I mean, use aquarium water and get all the gunk out of it. But um, that's my thoughts on that. But if you have plants, you got to remove them because if you don't, those meds will kill the plants and then the plants will be decaying in the water and add to the bacterial load and, and exacerbate the problem. Um, I would also... Yeah, if you have a bunch of gravel in there, that's going to be full of bacteria that'll get killed. Ideally, you can do this in a separate hospital tank, but that's the only thing I know of to treat a columnaris infection. Um, I'm sure there's other ways to do it. I'm not a vet, but that's what, what I would do. Um, you know, if it's a really light infection, then maybe just keep the water super clean, use salt and um, in nice high temperature, 86 degrees. That might be enough to help them out. But if it's like an advanced thing and obviously if you don't like get on it, it's going to be a problem. Then what I talked about before is kind of where my mind would go. Again, though, not a veterinarian, not qualified to tell you how you should do it. Just telling you what I think of if that was my fish in, in that situation, as far as I understand it, what I would probably try to do. Okay, Ginger Graves or Kayla's Aquatics. Do rainbows get metallic looking flecks on their top and sides? It almost looks like silver velvet, but they aren't acting sick. Haven't noticed it before. I mean, rainbows get all kinds of iridescence and flecks and, and stuff. Um, metallic looking flecks. Oh man, I, I live in fear of velvet. I just hate that pathogen so much. I mean, they do get metallic flecks, but but I'm assuming you know what velvet looks like. They can get velvet too. And they're, they're a big enough fish that if they do have velvet, they often won't 
demonstrate symptoms of it, like heavy breathing or lack of appetite or, or whatever, until they they until a long time, like until it's just taking over. So, yeah, Ginger, I don't know. Um, I know it could be velvet. It could also not be. If it is velvet, the only thing I found to cure velvet personally, and there could be other things that work, but for me, the only thing that works is copper. Copper saves some kind of chelated copper. And um, copper is rough on the fish, but it's the only thing I know that kills velvet. And copper will kill your plants. It will kill your biofiltration and everything. So separate blank um, hospital tank with just an airstone. Don't feed during the treatment would be my suggestion. I'm not, I don't know if you need to do that or not, but if you do decide it's velvet, that's the only thing I know of that works. In keeping the tank dark, don't turn a light on on it. That helps too, because velvet is photosynthetic. I hope it's not, Ginger. I really hope it's not. Gosh, I hate velvet. It's There's very few like external parasites I live in fear of, but that's one of them. Gary Duncan, I know you're our big loach fan. Love them. Do you ever see saddleback loaches on your list? Do loaches get along with bristlenose plecos? Yeah, loaches get along with bristlenose. Um, I'm assuming you're talking about there's so many loaches and so many different varieties. I'm assuming you're not talking about like tiger loaches or anything. Those don't get along with anything. <laughs> but um, um, yeah, your standard like zebra botias and friendly stuff will be fine. Saddleback, I, I know that one. I just want to make sure we're talking about the same thing because it's a common name. Yeah, so that's the red lizard loach. Yeah, that we already talked about. I can get them. I hope to get them but I'm not going to get them in my current system. Um, once I get the warehouse up and going, I'll be uh, having high flow in some of those tanks right from the river. So then I feel like I can maybe do some hill streams. I like hill streams. Love them, actually. But um, yeah, even if they don't need it, they want it. That kind of nice flow and high, real high oxygen. Jerry Serple Morris thinks they're outdoors in an unheated tank, but I did notice some adults in my community tank started looking a bit rough this week and was wondering if it was the heat in my community. Well, you're welcome. I hope it's helpful. Um, but insulation's my, my thought. Now, chat jumped on me like crazy, guys. So that's why a lot of you, I just skipped your questions and comments because I literally can't see them. So feel free to post again, although we're getting to 823. So I'll do my best. Do my best. I'm always far behind and that's how it's going to be. If, if me be behind in the chat frustrates you, this just isn't the live stream for you. I'm sorry. But um, my goal isn't to keep up with chat. My goal is to just have a nice discussion and talk to as many people as I can um, until we run out of time. So Mickey, I'm correct. 4 a.m. here. Woo! Look at that. How did I know? Can't sleep since Chech... Chichian Wholesale offers Aphiosimian calandri for 240 euros per fish, and I need a few. <laughs> it's like it's like the stock exchange, but it's the Chech fish exchange that you're you're staying up for, huh? Shandra <laughs> Sakar, do you that's dedication, man? Do you know any sources where we can get live cultures for white worms and vinegar eels? I don't know if there's any on Get Gills. That is a section of Get Gills we can use some help on sometimes. But let's see here. Um, if we go to here, 
Let's see how we're doing. And if not, I, I would refer you to Aquabid. Um, foods. That might be a whole lot. So let's try let's try being a little bit. Let's try eels. There's some vinegar eels right there from Kivia Aquatics. Let's try worms. There's another vinegar eel culture right here. Um, white worm starter culture, micro worms. Yeah, it looks like get gills could take care of you. So if you can find it there, I would appreciate that because uh, get gills is my website and um, I love it when people use it. But, you know, Aquabit has a lot of life food. So there's some really good life food vendors on Aquabit. There it is. Nurse Beckus. I see it. It's just a lemon giving me rattle cheers. No comment. Hey, thanks again, Nurse Beckus. Fantastic freaks. Two dollars. Just joined. What's in the tank behind you? Well, welcome. Thanks for joining. Um, and so here we have Burmese clouded archer fish. It's a uh, Toxodus blythei. They're pure freshwater archer fish. So if you like archer fish, but don't like keeping brackish water, I don't like keeping brackish water. These are fish that does great. My water is super soft. It only has two grains hardness. We're talking the highest hardness my water gets at the highest time of year is 30 parts per million. And it's normally down around 15, 17 parts per million. Real soft water. And they do great. Been raising them up and they're doing fantastic. Um, these are kind of like a leucistic a roseline barb or denison barb or torpedo barb, whatever you call it. They're called the golden torpedo barb or roseline barb or denison barb. It's a Hyadra denisoni. These come from a red eye, red cauliflower um, sword tail line. They don't have the high fins, most of them, but they do have the genetics for it. Um, I honestly think they're a lost cause. I just don't think the strain is strong. There are folks that have reached out asking if I'd sell them to them. I go back and forth. I, I'm probably not going to end up doing anything with them, but I don't want to be the guy that distributes a bad strain of fish either. So then um, there's, I don't know if you can see them, but here are some skunk Corydoras. Down on the bottom, the glare might be too much, but there's there's a big group. I think there's about 20 skunk quarries in there. Um, and then here is a steel blue epistogramma. I've got a, a few of them in there, and they spawn all the time. So that's uh, – and there's also some starlight plecos that I got from Mile High Plecos. Thanks again, Mikey Trevor. <coughs> Not smoke, I tell you. So that's, that's what's going on in there. I think I'm just going to add some electric blue Acara and be done. Don't want the tank too crowded. I kind of like it with a little space. In random plants, Pogostemus, Stelados octopus, Ludwigia. I, I don't know which one. Is it Repens? I don't know. The one that gets a little red on it. A sword plant from Petco? No idea. <laughs> and uh, that's about it. There is some dwarf sag growing down here. But, yep, that's the tank. It's 120 gallons. And... Uh, under 25 gallons, and I really like it. Thanks for asking. And we're at 828. I'm going to get to one more. Do you know a reasonable way to estimate an Aranda's age by size? Asked Marcy. I already got that one. Okay, Paul, I wanted to go back to breeding discus, and I know between pH and hardness, the eggs won't be viable. This is true. I bred them for 25 years, but moved after I lost them. 
All in our house fire. Ooh, previous was 7.4. Okay, yeah, if you're trying to breed discus, you're probably going to need to do reverse osmosis or something. You're... Now, there are some people that breed and raise discus in harder alkaline water, um, but I don't think they get highly viable spawns, and I think it's limited the number of strains that they can do. It just depends on how used those strains are to discus. But or those strains are to hard water, I mean. But you're right, you might need to lower the water with, for that. And if you're doing that, um, I don't, I think it'd be hard to keep discus in a tank that's softened, that has a really high, high alkalinity and is softened strictly by driftwood, just because typically discus keepers like to change a lot of their water. And you're never, if that's you, you're never gonna get the pH down and the softness, the hardness down enough with just driftwood. Um, I'm assuming you're the one that asked about driftwood. I can't remember exactly, honestly, but um, I think that's the conversation. Then um, if you have to keep changing water to keep the water clean, there's no way the driftwood will keep the water soft. So I think reverse osmosis unit would be the way to go if you're serious about breeding discus. Just my two cents. There's, there's always many ways to do any one thing, right? Okay. <laughs> Orange cones, ship the correct way equals shipped Dan's way. <laughs> Thanks. Um, there's lots of ways to do it. I think the principles that are uh, engendered in the way I do it are important, but I think there's several ways to, to integrate those principles in a shipping process. But yeah, I'm, I'm, glad, it, I'm glad you like it. It works well for me. Okay, we are done. I'm sorry, everyone's whose question or comment I missed. I'm sorry if I was like about to get to yours and then chat jumped and I couldn't see it. Um, that's one of the perils of running a live stream like I do and not always being at the, at the leading edge of the stream. As Candy says, six months to a year behind usually. <laughs> but thanks for being here. Thanks for playing all those that entered the giveaway. Thanks for those that stuck around after the giveaway. That's when you know who your friends are. <laughs> and um, everyone that left a super chat, thanks so much. I missed Kaler's Aquatics. And, okay, it literally won't let me see it. So let me see if I can, ah, there we go. Almost, nope. Bob Kaler, I see that you left me. There it is, $1.99, game over. All right, time to shut this down. It's nice to have Bob to remind me. He's like, okay, 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 okay. <laughs> so thanks again, everybody. Um, thanks to the mods. I appreciate you. Thanks to everyone that left a super chat. Always appreciated. Never required, but it really does help. And everyone that left a comment, thank you. If I didn't get to yours again, I'm sorry. You lurkers, I'm with you, Lurker Nation. Everyone watching on the replay, hiya, even though this is now the future. And... I'll be back next Wednesday, 7 p.m. Um, I'm assuming Punchy Paints is going next. So she usually goes about uh, half an hour after I go. So if you want more funness, then check out Punchy Paints channels for her live stream. And until next Wednesday, I hope you have a good one. <laughs>